Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and this is Beer is a Conversation. This week, James and Pete are in Adelaide at the Craft Brewers Conference, and James caught up with Aaron Heary, who is the head brewer at Gage Roads in Western Australia. Gage Roads has had an interesting couple of years, including a recent major strategy overhaul, and this week they announced a big profit to show that things are actually turning around for them. James gets to talk to Aaron about that, and also a lot to do with the history of Gage Roads. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Well, Aaron Heary, thanks very much for joining us on Radio Brews News. Thanks, James. Great to be here. Perhaps you could start by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself as a brewer and how long you've been with Gage Roads and how you found yourself at the company. Um, Yeah, how much time have we got? Uh, I've... uh, been with Gage Roads basically since they started the company, so back in 2004, and uh, helped them sort of commission the plant and brew the first beers. Uh, I originally, I guess, got my entry into the alcohol industry through wine, and um, I worked for Devil's Lair Vineyard in, in Margaret River, and that's where I met Janice McDonald, and we worked together for four years there before both kind of getting a bit bored, and uh, we decided to, to go and... Um, you know, help commission and start up the Little Creatures Brewing Company in Fremantle. So that's really where I got my start in beer, and that sort of never looked back, really. That was uh, the, the, the beer bug, the craft beer bug had bitten me. I was there for two years, helped them launch, launch the first three products, and then went over to uh, Canada, the US, spent a little bit of time in Samoa as a surf tour guide. That was probably my best best job to date. But, um, no, I spent two years up in Canada, worked in a brewery up there called Steamworks in Gastown, travelled through the US, took a car, drove it down to... Panama and toured through a whole lot of breweries along the way and then and then um, that's where I sort of met the Gage guys at a craft brewers conference uh, in San Diego on the way back down and I sort of said look I'll be home in six months you look like you're starting up a, a company over there it sounds exciting I would love to help so yeah I've been on board with Gage since then when I landed I basically started with them straight away and helped them to sort of grow their um, the brewery over the years it's been an interesting journey through that time, I sort of, you know, obviously studied through the Institute of Brewing and Distilling, but now more recently, I've probably moved more into the business space. I did a business degree through Curtin Graduate School um, in Perth, and yeah, so now I've sort of taken more of a leadership role within the company. It's Chief Operating Officer, your role. What, what does that actually involve? Uh, well, technically, I just look after all the operations of the company, so uh, brewing, packaging, logistics, warehousing, you know, safety, quality, all these types of things. So um, anything to do anything to do with sort of the, uh, the whole manufacturing side, I'm responsible for that, uh, reporting to the board. But more recently, I've been getting a lot more involved in the strategy of the company and where we're taking the business and the types of products we're looking to launch and um, how we sort of grow the company overall. And speaking of strategy, in the last couple of years, obviously Gage Roads has executed, it's called the Returning to Craft Strategy. 
Um, and one key aspect of that was that Woolworths is no longer a shareholder of the business. Yeah, I guess um, returning to craft is just a, a way of, of, of naming a strategy. Really what it is is focusing on our own brands and growing our own brands, you know, uh, overall. What we saw and as part of a barrier to doing that was that we were only being sold through, through one channel and we needed to diversify. And I think at the same time, uh, you know, Woolworths it's, uh, had a 20, 25% or just under that um, stake in the company and those guys saw that probably the benefits of having been vertically integrated into the supply chain probably weren't what they once were. Um, there's a lot of contract brewers around now. There's lots of opportunity to, to pursue that strategy without without having that. So this sort of separation, I guess, was a, a win-win. Um, and for, for both for both parties and really what it meant for us was that we were able to to, to take our craft range award-winning range of beers that we're really proud of to to the broader market and really really focus on bars and um, independent retail uh, as well and really uh, that's at the crux of it where this sort of came from um, and the indep- and the return to craft strategy you know obviously involves having to represent yourself to the to the independent trade as well which is why we've been investing in sales and marketing rebranding our products um, and and that type of thing so we've got a whole lot of new reps and brand ambassadors that have had to come on board um, to help execute that based on the result that we saw announced the ASX this week it looks like things are moving in the right direction yeah, it was a very pleasing result for the company. We're very proud that uh, you know this has been a long time in the in in the making for us. So in October last year, we purchased the shares back, and but you know we had actually hired our independent, um, well our our sales and marketing manager to go to the independent trade prior to that. So we were. Uh, sort of preparing in, in advance, I, I guess. So when, when that happened, we hit the ground running. Um, we had to reprice a lot of our products into the market. And it's been really pleasing to see that we've been able to continue to grow the volume of our craft branded products at the same time as increasing the price point, which is, um, they're kind of incongruous, those two, those two things. So that's been very positive. And what we think is that's just a reflection of the strength of the brand. Aaron, particularly in the, I guess, the logistics sense, was there uh, a smooth transition? Uh, I, I imagine having, uh, in the same way that when Stone and Wood were part of Little World Beverages, there was, uh, I guess, one less thing to worry about. Um, was it smooth going from, I guess, that chain kind of thing to, okay, now we've got to distribute ourselves? Um, yeah, I th- there's always there's always challenges. Um, we were well prepared I guess in advance um, we obviously have to appoint you know wholesalers and distributors and you know actually shift boxes from A to B we've hired um, Scott Player as our marketing manager sales and marketing manager should I say he's very experienced in doing this he's worked for uh, Little Creatures prior to this experience with Matzos with, with Fosters and so he had a lot of those relationships already he was able to leverage those and, and so now the, the, the transition's quite seamless one of the things that we see that we're really proud of is that we we're putting um, beer, you know, sometimes it takes a bit of convincing to get your beer ranged into a liquor store, but where we're actually getting it ranged, it's selling out very quickly. So the, the actual um, pull through from the stores and uh, is very strong. So, you know, someone's like, okay, look, I'll give you a chance and we'll put five cartons on the floor. And then two days later, they're like, can we, can we get some more single fin, please? So um, that's, been, that's been the most positive thing for us is to see that growth um, in those channels and for it to actually pull through. And I think that's probably, you know, where we're seeing that profitability number being driven from.
And I suppose historically, uh, beers like Atomic and Sleeping Giant were the main flagship beers for Gage Roads, if you will. You can correct me on that, because I know there are others that probably I'm not too familiar with. But that's kind of probably shifted in the last couple of years to be about Little Dove, uh, which obviously won the big gong a couple of years ago, and Narrow Neck. Is that, is that fairly true to say? Uh, well... Little Dove, yeah, it won a big award in 2016, I think it was, at the OIBA Champion Beer. That, I think, was a reaffirmation to everybody that we do brew great quality beer and and that our craft beers are up there with the best in in the country, if not the world. Narrow Neck is a brand sold in WA only, uh, but uh, Single Fin is the the brand that really is um, kicking a lot of goals for us as well um, and is now we think we'll probably overtake Atomic as our biggest uh, selling beer quite shortly. Uh, but Single Fin and Little Dove are really leading the charge in that in that space, yeah. Aaron, does that give perhaps a little bit of credibility to a theme that seems to be recurring and, it, and it's certainly been mentioned this morning at the conference that whilst hops are still the hero and the American style IPA and all those big juicy grapefruit flavours and that sort of thing, at the end of the day there are still plenty of people, not only who are, are drinking you know, mainstream lager, but who are coming across to craft or who have done the, the hoppy thing and are now going for those more, you know, like Session Ale seems to be a much more palatable trademark or a you know, brand kind of concept. Yeah, I, I mean, traditionally the, the model was that, you know, consumers came in, they might have started with a mainstream lager, moved to Coopers, went down to a pale ale and ended up at IPA and then into your sour space. I think there probably is some migration back up towards more sessionable beers, but overall with the growth in the craft category, I guess you might say, um, there's probably more consumers actually entering. And so they're coming to beers like, you know, 150 Lashes or, or, or Single Fin and, um, you know, Stonerwood Pacificale did a great job of creating a a more approachable craft beer that still has some of the whole, a lot of those hallmarks, those really hoppy characters, those tropical fruit, pineapple, passion fruit type aromas without that level of bitterness that then puts a lot of, a lot of people off. So I think as well as possibly yeah, the migration back the other way, it's just introducing a whole new set of consumers to craft beer without potentially some of the put-offs that might be bitterness and in, in, in those types of things. Yeah. The results that came out this week mentioned something about you know, an innov- a lot of innovation in the pipeline, some new products coming out. Anything you can tell us about those? Uh, look, I can't. I can't. I can't, I can't. No. I, I can't comment. I can say, yes, we are working on, on some new products. We've got a really exciting project that we've been working on in the background for probably six months now, um, and we will be uh, launching that in the lead-up to summer. That's about all I can really say on that, but, uh, oh, yeah, I wouldn't want to... Uh, you know, spread it to the market too early. Sure. Mate, as much as I'm sure that the role of COO has wide and varied, you know, sort of interesting sort of angles, do you miss being on the tools? Um, you know, at the end of the day, I do still spend quite a bit of time with the brewers helping develop recipes, problem solving, working through, you know, all these types of issues that come up when you're, you know, growing a business. And, uh, you know whether or not you're actually opening the bag of malt and tipping it into the into the hopper, or you're watching somebody else do that, but helping them to develop and grow as a brewer and and developing the the organisation to get those capabilities so that you don't necessarily need to do all these things. That's actually where I think I can add more value these days. And my brother and I, we uh, we do a few home brews every so often, and you know they're a very quality. <laughs> so, but uh, you know actually brewing. Um, day to day I, I don't necessarily miss that there's other challenges in 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 the uh, industry that I I sort of prefer to put my hand to these days but um, I still absolutely love 
beer and craft beer and I don't think I'll ever go anywhere else but yeah. I know more than anyone after my first judging experience earlier this week how difficult it must be for a beer to make it up and get the champion gong what do you think it was about Little Dove what work had you done on that beer that you think paid off that got it across the line Uh, It's a really good question. I mean, I wasn't there judging that competition. Um, I didn't really talk to any of the judges afterwards, you know, after it was announced. I think that beer, there was a new category, New World Pale Ale, which was available at that time. And previously a beer like that would never have fit well into a into a category and this is the problem with the judging process is you have to really fit a category to get a to get a great result i think little dove actually fit really well into that new world pale ale category when it came out and it has a very interesting balance um, it's actually more of a malt driven beer even though it has this huge hot bouquet and so when you drink it it's quite sweet and malty on the palate and um, and it's got a very high body that combined with this high aroma and, and the lack of bitterness, I think maybe it just separated it from the rest of the beers that day. Good stuff. And looking at Sleeping Giant, which is more of an English-style IPA, and you don't have another IPA as such in your portfolio, how's that beer going? Because I know that English IPA is a style that is not that well understood in Australia, and when people go looking for an IPA, sometimes when they try those English IPAs, they don't, they don't quite get what they're expecting. Yeah, the, I mean the English style IPA is more um, earthy, a bit more grassy, some um, spicy herbal kind of characters to it, whereas the, the American style um, is probably higher in alcohol content, much more citrus, fruity, tropical fruit kind of characters, much higher in bitterness. And so the market has sort of been generally moving towards that American style IPA. And our English IPA, you know, at, at one point there was we were thinking, well, is this going to be left out in the cold as the whole market moves towards the American style? And we haven't actually seen that. So our English IPAs continue to grow um, strongly. And, um, and I think that in general, it's a very complex beer. It's actually one of my favourite beers. It's, you sit down with one of those on your own and you're getting all these tobacco-y cigar box kind of characters that, that sit with it um, as well. It's got a great malt complexity. And, um, and that seems to be resonating as well. I think there's potentially the opportunity to tell the story a bit better, that um, it is an English IPA versus a, an, an American style. And, you know, we sort of do that on the back label. Maybe there's an opportunity to, to do that um, more effectively. But at the end of the day, it's still growing um, strongly. And um, it's one of, our, one of our best beers. So. What about on the single batch front? The focus does seem to be on these core range beers that we've already talked about. Is there much happening to bring short burst products to the market like perhaps there was a few years ago? Yeah, we've, we've spent a lot of time really focusing on getting our core range right and really focusing on the quality in that of those beers when you bring lots of new products to market they uh, take a lot of resources from your from your organization people are thinking about those and we didn't want people to take the eye off the prize of our core range beers at the end of the day there's there's a huge untapped area of of the australian uh, retail space that we haven't been able to access and and so now that that's been unlocked and we're going into independent retail and people will start to see us um in bars and uh and clubs and pubs, uh, you, you know, th- there's probably not that that need so much for that uh, to to reinvigorate what we're already doing. We're really moving into that, really taking our existing products, I guess, to a broader market as opposed to trying to reintroduce new things all the time. That said and done, we do have a development pipeline of get our brewers in a room and 
they love to innovate, they love to come up with new ideas and new things, so there's always going to be those new single release, limited release batches come to market. But at the moment, yeah, we're just, we're just kind of focusing on um, taking our existing, existing brands to a broader space. Do you have any personal stylistic preferences as, as a brewer that if you were brewing on a, in a brew pub, for, for example, tomorrow rather than in the larger gauge setup, that you would be exploring that you can't currently? Uh, no, look, we, for me, beer is about mood and it's about moment. So uh, people always ask me, do you have a favourite beer style? What would you, what would you rather be brewing, making, uh, drinking? If I'm on the back of a boat at Rottnest Island or you know out on the ocean somewhere, the beer that I'm going to choose and drink on that day is vastly different to if I'm camping on a cold beach down on the south coast somewhere, you know, tucked around a campfire, you know, where you might want say a bigger IPA, whereas on the back of a boat you might want to drink a crisp, clean pilsner. And with Gage and its um, its capability, we can brew any beer there that we want. We've built it specifically to be one of the most flexible brewing um, operations in Australia and we think it is. We can brew anything from the smallest little limited release batch right the way up to big volume um, style beers and so really that's at our beck and call whatever we choose to do so um, it's not it's not so much a case of what it has the capability of doing it's really what we want to do and where we see movement where people wanted a new type of beer will be there. You're obviously very well established in bottles. Um, is there any talk within the company about the canning trend? Is that something that you'd like to do at some stage? Yeah, um, everyone asks us that. We're, we're focused, again, on... I just keep coming back to what we're doing well in taking that to the broader market. So to introduce cans at this stage for us would be what we feel a, a bit of a divergence in really what where our strength is. So we've got a really double pre-evacuation bottle filler, really good bottling line. We've still got a lot of capacity in our brewery and in that bottling line to continue to um, grow. So for us to then move into cans would sort of be a bit of a cannibalisation potentially and so we see we'd rather continue to focus on bottles. We'll watch what happens in the can space of course um, but there are a lot of new can products coming to market so I think the, the first mover advantage of that has, has long passed and now it's a case of just seeing you know, how that part of the market develops. I don't get over to WA anywhere near as much as I'd like to. Um, what's the beer scene there like these days? Is there anything that's happening at the moment that we should know about, apart from what you guys are doing? Look, like everywhere, there's a lot of new brewers coming coming into the space, and everyone's doing the weird and wonderful. I think we've got a great heritage and history in Western Australia of really good quality beer and some of the earliest brewers in the craft space came from WA, the Sail and Anchor, we had Matilda Bay obviously, um, you know, Little Creatures, us to name a few. And so there's, there is a terrific set of experienced brewers out there that have then migrated out further to start their own little breweries up. So I think one of the things that we see in Western Australia is that the, the quality of the beer coming out of WA is very very good from well-trained brewers that have probably come from bigger craft breweries if you know what I mean so they're able to adopt some of the quality systems and things that that we have implemented in some of the bigger breweries and take that to the to the really small ones and I've always been an advocate that that is the number one thing that 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 craft brewers need to do is to adopt the quality systems from the bigger brewers and apply those to craft beer so the same quality system that makes Heineken you know, consistent all over the world can make a craft beer the best 
IPA in the space. So we're seeing that a lot in, in Western Australia where the, the, really the quality is, is great. I don't think there's any particular movement other than to say, you know, the biggest selling beers on draft in WA now are, are craft beers, bigger than, than some of the mainstream lagers. So the consumer in WA is, is pretty um, switched on when it comes to, to that space and, and, um, and a really in draft, and this is, I talk about draft only, that, that's where uh, they drink in that space. So the consumer's a long, a long way in front of where they are in some other parts of the country. Has it also been, you know, the exit of the big guys from WA, so, so the closure of Swan, obviously? Yeah, I mean, Matilda Bay closed, they were doing all VB and all the rest of it out of there, and then that was followed up by the closure of Swan, I can't remember what year it was, a a few years ago, and certainly that has left a a bit of a void there. That said and done, you know, the bigger guys have done a pretty good job of keeping those brands alive, having them brewed out of uh, South Australia and shipped across into into WA, and everyone locally is doing everything they can to try to tell that story and make West Australians proud of their local brewer. That's a that's a really um, uh, an important part, I think, of West Australia is that the, the drinker is quite parochial now there and, um, and really drinks locally. And the only local brands that they have to support are, as you say, craft beer brands. That's right, yeah. There's uh, probably about four or five sort of major, major sort of regional breweries that are broadly distributed and, and then they're drinking fairly locally at their local brew pubs. Well, we might let you get back to the conference, Aaron. Thanks heaps for joining us on Radio Brews News. No problem. Thanks, James. It's a pleasure to be here. That was Aaron Heary. If you enjoy Radio Brews News and Beer is a Conversation, please rate us and leave a review on your favourite podcasting app, like iTunes. We look forward to joining you next time for another conversation about beer.